Tonight we're going to talk about the subject of prayer. This is a topic that is connected to something that God really put on my heart last summer for this community, which was this word revival, which is a word that I tried to demystify by just basically talking about that's what we say when we say a fresh sense of God's presence and his work in our lives. And one of the elements of when God moves in that way in our own lives is a a resurgence of prayer. And so this is connected to that. I've come into this new year of 2015 with uh, a burden in many ways about prayer uh, for our community as well. And it's not so much for prayer because prayer is not a thing for its own sake. It's not an end. It's a means. And really prayer is a means for us to engage with and have communion with and to know, to understand, to follow, to surrender to God himself. And so that's what is really behind that uh, deeply, is a heart for us to know God, who ultimately is what we're desiring and what we're longing for in our lives, whether we know it or not. So we're going to hit this topic tonight. Now, I realize that when we bring up the topic of prayer, that it can lead to a whole host of initial reactions. Probably the top of the list is confusion and questions. Uh, There may be some of you who sit there and go, "Uh uh-oh, I'm going to feel really guilty after this kind of Um, sermon because prayer is something I know is important but it doesn't really happen in my life and uh, if you feel that way then you're probably like the rest of us in the room who feel that prayer is something that we're struggling with in life. Um, It may be there's excitement. Maybe some of you are just beginning to pray and and seeing the joys of this. Or it could even be disinterest. Thinking, uh, you know, can't we just talk about something more exciting or more relevant to my life? Um, and I would like to say on, on this topic, generally, when we think about prayer, that prayer actually, when we, so my goal is not, not going to be to answer all of those questions. Um, if I did, you wouldn't get to watch the Patriots tonight, and you wouldn't probably be happy about that. Um, my goal is to do a couple of simple things, and that's to try to get to the heart of prayer. What is it that drives it? And I want to say that as we do that, we'll, we'll actually get to the heart in many ways of the Christian faith as well. So if you're sitting there thinking, you know, prayer is not really that interesting to me, then I would say actually when we start to get to the heart of prayer, we get to the heart of what Christianity is all about, which I hope is something that all of you are interested in at one level or another. And I want us then to, to look at a few things, kind of looking at two of the basic elements that go into to, to rejuvenating or fueling a life of prayer. Then I want us to end by looking at a few practical suggestions for how we might pray. But first, before I do that, let's just start with an observation from the biblical text that we read. Cambria read it for us in the New Testament, Acts chapter 1. This is what it says. Well, basically, just to set the scene, Jesus has just been crucified. He just rose from the dead. He just said to his disciples, you're going to be my witnesses, and you're going to receive power. And then he, he vanished, he, what we call the ascension, that he was taken up from among them to go take his place on the throne to be the Lord over the world. And he left them behind. And so they're, they're in this place of, okay, this is where we find ourselves. And what we read in Acts chapter 1, in verse 14, is it says that all of these, these apostles, together with the women, with Mary, Jesus' mother, and his brothers, were gathered together, and they were with one accord, devoting themselves to prayer. The simple observation that I want to make through this text and then a few more in the book of Acts in the early chapters, the beginning of the life of the people of God in the church, is that prayer is at the heart of God's people. Uh, Prayer is something that is going on. Whether we understand it or not, it's very much the lifeblood, if you will, 
of the people of God. So you see it there. They're devoting themselves. That means persisting in or holding fast to or persevering in this action of prayer. That same verb for devoting themselves takes place again at the end of chapter 2 where we read that uh, the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So there you get it again. And then if you go on to chapter 6, when they're having some issues with needing to feed the widows um, in these two different ethnic groups of the church in Jerusalem, and they're trying to figure it out, the apostles appoint some to go and take care of those matters. What we, that's where we get the idea of the diaconate or of deacons from, those who serve in the church. And they say they, they need to do this because they say in verse 4 of chapter 6, but we will devote ourselves, that's the same verb, devote, to persevere in, to hold fast to, we'll devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So I, I think Luke is trying to get us, drill it down into our heads that actually the life of prayer is something that's central to the life of the church. We obviously see this modeled in Jesus, the gospel reading that Sam just read for us. Jesus gets up really early in the morning while it was still dark, and he goes out and spends time with his father in prayer. In Luke 6, it says, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. So Jesus models this, the centrality of prayer in his own life. And then if you look at the rest of the New Testament and you see how prayer is discussed in, those, in, in many places, just a few here of examples, we're urged and exhorted to live a life of prayer as the people of God. Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it and with thanksgiving. Ephesians 6, praying at all times in the spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. So we get this sense that part of the Christian identity, a central part of it, is to be a people of prayer. So now I want to, that's the observation. Prayer is central. Now, the question is, so why? Why is prayer so central to the life of the people of God? Because honestly, if you think about it, and and we probably all thought this at, at one point or another, prayer seems to be a kind of bizarre thing, especially to an outside observer, and maybe often to people even inside the church. You think, why are you spending all this time just sitting there, being still, And speaking to someone that I'm not even sure is there that you can't see and who probably isn't going to ever talk back to you, at least audibly. It kind of seems in some ways like a waste of time to an outside observer. When when you could be moving on and getting things done and, and, and jumping into life. And it's not that far afield, really, is it? I know that oftentimes I'll walk in to my study at the office in, in, uh, down in Back Bay, and, and I'll know that I want to pray, but what's sort of beckoning me is this laptop, you know, with all this important stuff that I have to do and these emails that I have to answer, and, and I'll have that exact conversation in my mind. You know, why would I spend time just kind of going over and getting on my knees, something I'll often do when I pray, when all this immediate important stuff is, is drawing Uh, is calling for my attention. So there are two reasons I want to give you for why we would do this, why we would pray. Now, there there could be a lot more. I just want to give two briefly tonight. Uh, Two things that are rooted in what we believe as Christians. And these two things are at the heart, again, of the Christian faith. And they become the driving force, uh, I really believe, for prayer. And once we understand these two things, but we'll see actually that both of them 
are opposed in many ways by just the world in which we live. But once we understand and begin to build our lives on these things, prayer starts to make a lot more sense. And I hope in many ways that it begins to come a bit more naturally in our lives. We all wrestle with this. So the first one, and it has to do with power. Power. God has power. This is what we believe. We're a church that proclaims the resurrection of Jesus, that God actually through his power is making all things new, that he literally raised his son Jesus from the dead and brought him back with a new body into a new creation and that he's going to do that with all of us. So we believe at the heart of the Christian faith that God has power. But the next thing that we say when we say that is that therefore we don't. God has power and we don't. And this little simple insight fuels a life of prayer for us. Going back to Acts 1, remember setting the scene that this leader of theirs that had just been killed, uh, had a lot of enemies, remember, uh, had just left them. And sure, they'd been reassured by his resurrection, but he had just left them and they're gathered together in this upper room waiting because they know that they don't know what they're supposed to do next other than wait for something to come from him. And so what do they do? They don't come up with a 10-point plan. They don't set a, you know, they don't set a goal. Well, he said we're supposed to be the witnesses, so let's like figure out how we're going to do this witness thing. Let's make it happen. How we're going to conquer Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. But they devote themselves to prayer. They're in that place of lack of control, lack of understanding, place of need. And so they devote themselves to prayer. They wait, they trust, they pray. And then God acts in chapter 2 and he sends the spirit upon them, this powerful presence of God's own self coming to live and dwell in them, to empower them to witness. And then right after that we read, they devoted themselves to the prayers. They continue to be in that place of waiting, of trusting, of surrendering. What drives prayer more than anything else in our lives is a sense of our own need, our own powerlessness, our own dependency, our own lack of control. I remember when we moved back from England in the fall of 2004 where Uh, I was studying theology and we came back to Mississippi because my mother-in-law wasn't well. She was on, um, she had polycystic kidney disease and was on dialysis and we came back just to be with her. And I remember sending out my resume to anybody and everybody. I mean, I'd studied theology, but I was applying to the Winn-Dixie grocery store. Uh, I was applying to anything and everything. And I didn't know what was next. And I'll, I'll never forget that couple of month season in our life of being in that place of like they were in the upper room in Acts chapter 1 of just not knowing and really wanting to know and really realizing I was completely out of control that in those couple of months it was one of the sweetest richest times of fellowship that I've ever had with the living God day after day of just coming into his presence and saying Lord I don't know I don't know what next is this wasn't exactly the plan but God meeting me 
in drawing me out of that place of desperation, out of that place of things weren't figured out, things weren't completely together. Now the problem with this is, is it's really easy, it's super easy to live with this mirage of control and of strength. To think that we're the ones who are powerful and we're the ones who can make things happen. Reinhold Niebuhr said this, the human ego assumes its self-sufficiency and self-mastery and imagines itself secure. It does not recognize the contingent and dependent character of its life and believes itself to be the author of its own existence. An excellent book on prayer by a man named Paul Miller is called A Praying Life, and he said this, he said, one of the subtlest hindrances to prayer is probably, probably one of the most pervasive. In the broader culture and in our churches, we prize intellect, competency, and wealth. Because we can do life without God, praying seems nice, but unnecessary. Money can do what prayer does, and it's quicker and less time-consuming. Our trust is in ourselves and in our talents. Our trust in ourselves and in our talents makes us structurally independent of God. As a result, exhortations to pray don't stick. In 2006, when I was back in D.C. on a staff there at a church in Capitol Hill, we had, we're, we're connected as a church to the Anglican Church of Rwanda here in Boston. Our church is, I'm actually ordained in Rwanda. We had a guest come from Rwanda, a Rwandan Anglican priest, and I'll never forget him. He was, he was a wonderful man. His name was Dale, and his wife came, and they stayed with us for a number of days in our apartment in D.C., and I'll never forget him saying to me, Mark, you Americans do not know how to pray. And I think what he meant when he said that was exactly what Paul Miller was getting at in that quote that I just read to you. You know how to do everything. You have everything. You kind of think you can do life on your own. And he said, you don't really know how to pray. And when I visited him a year later in 2007 in Rwanda, I'd have to say that I concurred with his assessment. As I looked and watched the people in the church in northeastern Rwanda pray and gather regularly, 6.30 in the morning, to pray. And, and they spent time in prayer. And I could understand a little bit better of his indictment of the church in America. A prayerless life is a life of self-sufficiency at the end of the day. It's a life that says, you know, I think I can do this on my own. This is a sickness that really does pervade our culture. And it pervades even at times the church. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says to the church, you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing. They'd grown into that sense of self-sufficiency. We're okay. Not realizing, he goes on to say, that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind. And naked. And then he tells them, Come and get what you need from me. Get what you need from me. There's a grace that God gives to us as his children in moments of trial. It's often the case, and I know many of you could say, you could pull up a story from your own life right now in your mind that when you encountered a health issue or a financial issue or a relational issue that was far bigger than anything that you could control that somehow God used that to get your attention again. To draw you back to himself. To draw you back into his heart and his life. 
We see that all the time in situations where you know, the, the, the proverbial plane's going down and people stop and they cry out to God, even if they haven't ever done that in their lives. Or after people have made that through a situation they should have never made it through. I remember watching the movie Gravity, spoiler alert, but at the end when uh, Sandra Bullock you know, gets basically out of space and lands on the water and gets to the beach, I, I remember that she just uttered this word, thank you, you know, under her breath. That hadn't been a part of the story up to that point, but it was just illustrating that sense of, you know, we know when we hit things bigger and deeper than us that we're crying out. So Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poverty of spirit is what drives a life of prayer because of the insight that God has power and we do not. Patrick Miller again said this, we don't need self-discipline to pray continuously. We just need to be poor in spirit. Poverty of spirit makes room for his spirit. So this is the first thing that fuels the, the, the question of power. Where does it reside? With God. And God isn't a God who's stingy. Jesus teaches when he teaches on prayer that he's like a loving father who loves to lavish and give good gifts to his children. So this God of power is also... This is the second point that fuels prayer. A person. A person who wants to be known. And not an object who just dispenses things. Impersonally to people. In other words, Christian prayer. Prayer in Christ is about conversation with this God. And communication with this God. At its heart, it's fundamentally an invitation into this intimate relationship between the Father and the Son. That Jesus, we sometimes wonder, well, why did Jesus pray when we believe that Jesus was God himself living in the human flesh? Why did he pray? Because Jesus in his humanity was modeling for us a life of dependency and relationship with his father. And so what is the word that he uses for God? Abba. This Aramaic word that implies an intimacy and a connection with this great being of God that doesn't get translated when, when people are writing in Greek. They keep this Aramaic word and it becomes something that the, the church is known for. And so Paul picks it up and says, when God pours his spirit out into our hearts, he adopts us into his family and our spirit cries out, Abba, Father. That is, we've been invited into this relationship of intimate love and connection with the living, powerful God who rules heaven and earth. A God who himself is the great reward and the great treasure for our lives. Not the things that he gives to us, but he himself is the ultimate treasure. So the psalm we write tonight, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. This is David crying out to God. David, a man after God's own heart. David, one who wants to know and encounter and experience this God as a person and not just as an impersonal power or force or goods dispenser. And so we've been invited in prayer to come in. Prayer is the language. Prayer is the, the blood of this kind of relationship. We've been invited to know and to understand and to plumb the depths of who this God is and to experience a depth of relationship with him. Imagine for just a moment if your relationship with your spouse or with your closest friend, if you only talked to your spouse as much as you talked to God this past week. I mean, just run that thought experiment for a moment. And say then that that week got multiplied over the next 20 or 30 weeks. Would you have a good relationship with your spouse? 
or with that friend. It's the same dynamic that's at work in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. That as we draw near to Him in prayer, as we commune with Him, as we devote ourselves to this kind of language of love, this very personal language, that this relationship begins to to, to bloom and to blossom. Every marital counselor will tell you that when communication breaks down in a marriage, the marriage is in great trouble. We've been invited into this deep relationship. God is a person to be known, to be explored, to be related with. Okay, so power and person. Now, a few quick things as we close in terms of how do we deal with our struggles? Because we all struggle with prayer. How do we move into deeper communion with this person? How do we grow in our understanding of his power and our dependency and live that as a lifestyle? Three things. One, start where you are. I would really suggest this. Just acknowledge to God, maybe tonight, maybe after you finish watching the Super Bowl, just take some time and say, God, you know, I know how much I like to be in control. And I know how much I like to take care of myself. I know how much I like to be independent. Tell God what you're really thinking right now. Tell God, hey, you feel really distant to me. I don't really know where you are. I would love for you to show up in my life in a different way. I've been stale for six months or six years in my life. Speak to him. Just give him what you're dealing with at the moment. We read from Jeremiah 15 tonight. Jeremiah pours out his complaint before God. He doesn't, he doesn't like sweeten it up. Start where you are. Don't try to get yourself to a place that's presentable. Don't try to get yourself to words that are perfect. Just start to utter whatever it is that comes to your mind. But start to communicate. Confess your own self-sufficiency. Tell God that you want to need him more than you think you do. Ask God to show you your own need and dependency. Just start, just start where you are. That's the first thing. Second thing is become like a child again. I've got four children. Um, so some insight in, into this relationship with the father. But children do this. They start where they are. They don't have a filter. You know? Like, hey, I, I want some dessert, Dad. You know, it's just like, boom. Whatever it is that comes to mind just comes out. That's a very childlike quality. And Jesus said to us, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Children ask for anything. And they ask for everything. And they ask repeatedly for things. And they don't stop asking. They ask for help all the time. Dad, can you tie my shoes? Dad, can you untie my shoes so I can tie my shoes? Dad, can you pour milk on my cereal? They know. They don't have any kind of mirage that they're self-sufficient. They know they're dependent. And so they ask. And it's beautiful most of the time when they ask. (laughs) They ask, again, for what they want. Dad, will you play knockout with me? Dad, can I have more? All of these things go on. And they ask repeatedly. So children ask for things. Do you ask God for anything? This childlikeness. They don't just ask, but you know what else children do? This is really interesting, but in our house, man, and I'll talk about this often, uh, if the kids are kind of just floating around the house and one of us, you know, we're all sort of in the same room and then one of us goes upstairs, say, to our bedroom, sure enough, about five to ten minutes later, suddenly we'll look around and there'll be a couple of kids just right around us. 
again. Or we'll move back down into the kitchen, and then five minutes later, a couple of kids around us in the kitchen. Children love to be with their parents. They love to spend time with their parents. Now, obviously, that can change and be broken, and maybe it was in your own life in different ways. But at the heart of it, children love to draw near. Just love to sit on your lap. Love to cuddle up with you by the fire. Love to have you read them a story. They love to be with their parents. They interrupt you because they want to be with you so much. Become like a child again. Do you feel very childlike in your relationship with your Heavenly Father? Do you ask Him for things? Do you ever just tell Him you want to spend some time with Him? And the last thing is just to be honest. Be honest about distractions and diversions. I'd say this is maybe more like teenagers, which I haven't had much experience, don't have any experience with yet. But um, to be honest, is there any space or time in your life to be with your father? This is from Dale Allison's great book he wrote called The Luminous Dusk. I would highly recommend it. It's not all in prayer, but a couple of chapters are. And he said this, he's a New Testament scholar. He said, only one thing is needful, and that is God. It is our fallen fate, however, to heed innumerable trivialities, to turn our heads away toward every passing light. We are stimuli-seeking machines. The unhappy circumstance is such that it requires informed and sustained effort to ignore juvenile distractions and to enter that solitary state in which the ever-present one comes to be known as present, in which the one who always knocks at the doors of hearts can be heard. The email, the phone in your pocket, and so on and so forth. Be honest about distractions and diversions. Do you have any space, any space, where you can just say, hey, God, I'm here in your life? Again, this isn't about prayer for its own sake, but deeply knowing our own need and deeply understanding that prayer is about relationship at its heart can fuel us into this place then of actually beginning to commune with God, beginning to converse with him, beginning to know him, beginning to understand him. This loving, wonderful, gracious Heavenly Father who wants us to come and to be in his presence. We're going to talk about this some in neighborhood groups this week. It's all about the deeper end of being a people who know who understand, who relate with God. This is why I would put to you the observation that we started with is there. They devoted themselves to prayer. Amen.